Hello everyone and welcome back to Sightless Fun, a podcast about board game accessibility for people who are blind and visually impaired. I am your host, Ertai Shashko, and today I have my guest, Jay Sears, and we're going to talk about color blindness. Welcome to the show, Jay. How is it going? Hi, thanks. Thanks for inviting me. Um, it's going really well, thank you. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to discussing about color blindness and and or helping game designers and how they can improve their games for people who are colorblind and get rid of some misconceptions about colorblindness as well um, because the term blindness is not exactly accurate so yeah i've got some some interesting facts to go through so yeah really looking forward to it yeah it's it's great to have you here looking forward to this chat as well so uh tell us a bit about your background um, my background, so I've got quite an interesting background um, and a lot uh, in relation to, you know, people with visual impairments as well. So uh, in terms of what's relevant, I used to actually work in the RNIB College, which is Royal National Institute for the Blind. And that was uh, just outside London. I used to live in London. I'm um, obviously from Scotland originally. Um, and so I've got quite a bit of experience working with people who have visual impairments. And in and, and my current job, I work with people with uh, physical disabilities and learning difficulties. And as you can imagine, many of them have some type of visual impairment or hearing impairment. And, you know, some of them do play board games. So I've, you know, in terms of supporting them to play board games, it's quite common. They can struggle with many aspects of, you know, in terms of, you know, the games that are out there. So I've got quite a bit of experience with that. But I've got quite a wide range of background. I used to live in Australia, New Zealand. I've lived all over in the UK. Um, originally, I, started, I used to be a chef, um, and then I got into the kind of community sector, working as a youth worker with young people. And then I—that's when I ended up getting a job with an IB. And then I studied my degree in community education, and then started working with the homeless and in the housing sector for about ten years. And then, you know, about four years ago, I got a job as a manager um, working with people with uh, disabilities. And, you know, so, yeah, I've got quite a, quite a wide range of, you know, background in terms of my, my career, my job. And I didn't get into board gaming pro- probably till about four years ago, four mm. or five years ago, when my father sent me a gaming design called Scandal. And I remember putting in Board Game Geek and they got slated. <laughs> Because it was a bit like Monopoly, the way it was, it looked. Um, so I took that as a challenge to redesign it, and I, I've been working on it for about four years now. Um, but I've designed quite a few, a few other uh, board games, which is why I do my, as a hobby. I do it on the side because I've got a full-time job. I'm a parent. I've got two young children, so they take up a, a, a lot of time. So I try and fit in the uh, my board gaming on the side. Right. Yeah. Awesome. So do you have any like color blindness condition? Like, are you having issues distinguishing a particular set of colors yourself? I, I do. So I've got what's called, uh, I don't know if it's pronounced right, it's a jutan color blindness. So it's um, basically a type of uh, red-green color blindness. And this is, I'll, I'll talk later about the misconception when, you know, people say red-green, they assume that you're, you can't see red and green. That's not true. So uh, I'll discuss more in detail about the types of color blindness. But that's mm. I can um, you know basically what that means is that condition I've got, it, and it's not a a blindness. It's a defect, and that's where the misconception comes in. 
So basically it means that the green cones in, in the eye detect too much light, uh, too much of the red light that comes in and not enough green light. So um, as a result, that's, you know, with, with many people that, that you know, reds, yellows and greens and, and browns as well can appear similar. So I might struggle, for example, if somebody um, has different shades of green, I can struggle a bit to see see that. It just looks like green to me. Right. Um, or when they try and mix a certain shade of brown in with a certain shade of green, it can be quite difficult. And I can also struggle with uh, different shades of, of yellow and orange, if, especially if, the, uh, if it's a dark uh, yellow mixed in, you know, with a, with an orange, it can be extremely almost impossible for me to see mm. to tell the difference. It's not a, a huge deal. It's not too big a deal for me when I'm playing board games. Um, I can get by okay. Um, I don't think my colorblindness is as bad as some other people's. Mm. Yeah, and I guess like also like the room lighting plays a huge role in this, uh, especially like if you're playing, I don't know, in a basement room where uh, usually gaming rooms are set in. And yeah, uh, so uh, how about like, uh, what are the most common color blindness? Uh, which colors do people mix most of the times? Well, not mix, but can't distinguish between. So there's three main types of color blindness and that's, they're based on the uh, photopigment defects. Okay, so it's not blindness, and that's a misconception. It's a defect, okay, that's in the three different kinds of cones, and they're known as uh, uh, photoceptor cells, yeah. okay? And those respond to blue, green, and red light, okay? Mm -hmm. So we have uh, in the cells there's cones, okay, um, and there's around about 9 million cones that we have, okay? Right. There's also rods. There's about 12, something like 12 million rods, okay? Mm -hmm. So the cells are both rods and, and cones. So when we say, for example, red green, okay, that doesn't necessarily mean that someone, you know, will be colorblind both both these cones. Okay, it's far more likely that someone will have a defect to the one rather than both. But what's important to understand is that someone will struggle, okay, to see many different colors. Okay, mm -hmm. so just because something says red, red, green, it doesn't mean that if they've got damage to that red cone that it's only a defect with red. They're going to have defects with other colors as well, and that's something to bear in mind. So the wording used for the two colors is misleading, okay? Hmm. So the main three types of color blindness, you have red and green. So the red's protan, and the green is, uh, uh, I think it's pronounced dutran, so it's D-E-U-T-R-A-N, and that's um, the most common type of color blindness. And then you have blue and yellow, okay? Um, I think blue uh, is something like uh, tridinomaly, and yellow is, uh, I think it's tritinopia, color blindness, okay? So that's quite rare, having blue-yellow. And then the third is a complete absence of color vision, okay? And that's total, total color blindness. That's where somebody can just see gray, uh, right. black and white, and that's extremely rare. So if you take a dog as an example, dogs that see color, um, <laughs> unless they have some abnormality with their eyes and they can all of a sudden see colour, they just see black and white. So if you can imagine just seeing grey, um, you know, that, that's all you're seeing is grey and, you know, and some you know, black and white. So those are the three uh, main types. Say, for example, you have um, a red defect, okay? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, red, orange and yellow can appear greener. Okay, and the colours are not as bright, so they can be they can appear quite dull. Which is why when you're designing a game, you're trying to make it accessible 
it's possible get bearing the contrast and the brightness or and the darkness of colours. Mm-hmm. Okay, but that's only if someone's got some red cones working. So they might have some working, some not working. Okay, so those who have no working red cones at all, okay, which is uh, protonopia, okay, they will have uh, red appears black. Um, So when you're mixing red and black or red and black next to each other, they just look exactly the same to that person. And you also find that certain shades of, you know, orange, yellow and green will all appear as yellow. So again, that's you know when you're using those combinations, it could be, it could be very, extremely difficult for someone with that type of defect to see see those colours clearly. So yeah. the other one, the green, which is Dutran, uh, I think it's pronounced Dutran. That's how I pronounce it anyway. Mm-hmm. And the, basically, you've got uh, yellow and green. Okay, so they'll they'll generally appear quite red, and it's usually difficult to tell violet or you know or purple from blue. Or, you know, pinks uh, and greys are quite difficult to, you know, tell the, the apart. So, again, you get to be careful with those type of colours you're mixing in. But gen- that's only those with, you know, some green cones working, okay? They right. generally won't have all of the cones. Bear in mind, you've got 9 million cones, okay, in the mm-hmm. cells, right? So it's a lot, yeah. okay? So if someone's got absolutely no working green cones at all, okay, they'll tend to see reds as a kind of brownish-yellow and greens is a kind of beige colour. So generally, red, yellow, and green, and, and brown appear quite similar, especially in low light. And that's what you mentioned earlier. You've got to be careful of the light when you're playing a board game and the kind of different contrast you're using in colours. That, that can have a huge effect on, on someone who's colourblind with, with, you know, in terms of the, you know, the green cones not working. Yeah. The uh, blue-yellow, so the blue is usually the, the blue will appear is green, so mixing blue and green is usually a no-no because they're mm-hmm. never, ever going to tell the difference. Um, and it can usually be quite difficult for them to tell, you know, yellow and red from pink. So that's something to bear in mind as well. But that, that's quite, that's extremely rare to have that colour blindness. Tritinopia is where the blue generally, you know, appears as green and yellow usually appears as violet or a kind of light grey colour. Um, and again, that's extremely rare. And it's quite in- interesting when you look at tridenopia, usually a lot of colours look like grey. <laughs> you mm. know, so it's it's almost impossible to design a board game, you know, with someone with blue, yellow colour blindness, because you're literally going to be limited to only about two or three different colours to use in your palette. So, you know, but there are ways around it where you can change the contrast and you know, in the, in the tone um, in terms of how the colour looks. Right. But what's what's interesting is when we are designing games, we don't actually we kind of forget how how many people are actually colorblind mm-hmm. and how how it can quite affect people playing board games. So one in twelve men suffer from colorblindness, which is a high high number of people. That's yeah. something like eight percent of the you know the male population in the world. That's a lot of people, and one in twelve, uh, I think it's one in two hundred women suffer from colorblindness. So it's far more common in men than it is in women. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there, there is a lot of people who um, suffer from color blindness. Um, so it's it's something to bear in mind when you you know you're you know doing some game design. Yeah, if you're playing, for instance, a party game where like uh, usually they, those games go up to eight, ten players in a group, it could be very likely that one of the people in your group is color blind. So yeah, that's that's something to think about indeed. So 
what what, I'll, what I think would, would be useful is to maybe go through some certain color combinations to avoid. So just to help those who yeah. are designing games, what they should avoid and combinations you can get away with. There is a lot of combinations you should should avoid, and it can be difficult, you know. And I'm not saying to any game designer you should avoid all of these and you know and be limited to the color palette you've got to only have a handful of colors because that's not going to happen. But there's certainly out of this list, there's 27 combinations you should try and avoid, and out of that, there's nine you should avoid at all costs. So even if you're going to kind of ignore the the, the other ones, just don't ignore the nine. The nine really important ones. So nine really important ones are red and green. So it should avoid the combination of those two. Green and black, green and grey, green and brown, green and blue, light green and yellow. Um, obviously, because yellow is quite bright, and using light green uh, can make it extremely difficult for someone to see the two different colours. Yeah. Violet and purple. Um, violet or purple with blue, and blue and grey. So those are the the main no-nos. Just try and avoid those particular um, combinations because the you know the, it's going to be almost impossible with someone with a type of color blindness to see some of those colors and you know differentiate differentiate between the two. Um, yeah. I, if somebody, I'm going to put the whole 20, 27 list of all the combinations you should avoid on a blog. I'm going to do a blog post. I've already written it. I'll, I'll get it out there soon. Um, I'll probably be out there attending this podcast as well. Oh, yeah. Um, and it lists the whole 27 combinations to avoid. Yeah, and we'll put the, like, as always, uh, relevant links will be listed in the show notes. So... And there's there's lots of combinations you can you can you can have. So there's there's a lot of safe ones. So there's actually 18 very safe color combinations you can use. So for the, I won't go through the whole lot, but for example, right. um, you know, uh, you, again, you've got to be careful with the contrast. Okay. So um, red and blue, uh, blue and yellow, you can tend to get away with. Green and purple or green and pink, you can have a kind of bright orange and a dark green, for example, and get away with that. Um, you could have a, a dark orange and a bright yellow. So generally, someone with um, um, a, uh, who struggles to see yellow and orange, if you make the contrast completely different, you can get away with it. Okay, so you're not saying to someone again designed to exclude certain combinations. As long as you're careful with the contrasts and the hues, you can actually get away with combining certain colours. Or at least using some common sense, do you really need to combine the colours or can you combine different colours? And perhaps if you need to use use uh, a yellow and an orange, maybe place them in separate sections of the board to make it a little bit easier. So that might not be important. They need to know that's a you know a completely different type of colour, but they just need to know that it's different territories, for example. So we'll keep those particular ones separate. So right. there's ways around it when you're designing a, a board game, but you get to be careful with the, the contrast you're using in, in, in colour. So in my blog post, I'll have different types of combinations you can use. Right. And it's really important, especially when you need certain dice or tokens and cards, you know, especially if you've got a five or a six player game and you need to know the different colour combinations you can use. So there's, there's little tricks and tips you, that, that you can do. Yeah. to get away with that and still make it accessible for the majority of people who are colorblind. One of the games that we've talked about in this podcast is Sagrada. Have you ever played Sagrada before? I haven't played it, but I've seen it and uh, extremely colorful. It looks, yeah. it looks amazing, but 
I can imagine if I was playing that, I would struggle. Yeah. Because of the amount of coloration in it. And the, um, the, the problem when you're using a lot of um, vibrant colors is it can be an absolute nightmare for somebody who is colorblind to play a ball game like that. Yeah, and the dice that they're using are also clear dice. So depending on certain, under certain light conditions, they can be very troublesome. Uh, my co-host Jed owns that game and uh, he had problems distinguishing. He also has retinitis pigmentosa. And like for those that do not know, the retinitis pigmentosa causes uh, the cells in your eyes. So the cones and the rods that you talked about to basically die. And as you start losing uh, cones, you also start losing uh, different color perception. So colors start blending. And I also have that problem. Like I can't distinguish between uh, yellow and white easily. Uh, or well, uh, right now, probably not at all. So for instance, even when I was, uh, let's say, watching Netflix, and I don't know like what the color of the subtitles are right now, but I remember at one point they were yellow and to me that appeared as white and like different sh shades of gray are blending with each other. And yo, so as the cones are dying out, uh, you slowly start losing uh, different like color spectrums. And yeah, in Sagrada, one of the problems was with the yellow dice because they have like uh, white pips on the dice. And like when you look at the dice, you can't even see the pips. So yeah, but now there, there's a problem with if they had used different colors, like let's say they used black pips on the yellow die that automatically changes the aesthetic of the game and makes it less appealing. So sometimes Publishers I know are stuck with the decision whether they will go for the aesthetics or go for functionality. You can get you can get a balance. So here's some tips that a game designer can do. And look, it doesn't have to be difficult, okay? Mm -hmm. Honestly, it's simple. And the blog post I, I've written is is you know is a way where you can understand and simplify the process of a game design to make it as accessible as possible for people who are colorblind. Okay, so uh, the example you gave, if you exaggerate the difference between the foreground and the background, you know, of, of you know, by avoiding using colors that are maybe similar lightness. So, for example, the yellow and the white. Mm -hmm. If they used a darker yellow and the white, it wouldn't have been as bad. Mm -hmm. You know, in terms of of picking up that that color. And again, that's down to the, the saturation or the, or the tone of, of the color you're using. So you have to be careful and you have to, you have to make sure that the tones are different, the saturation is different and, you know, and, and the colors. So mm -hmm. if you're using two different pastel colors, one should be lighter than the other, for example. Mm -hmm. So usually as a form of rule, light colors uh, and dark ones go well together and they make it much easier uh, to pick up, the, pick up those colors. Um, so, you know, so a blue on top of a yellow, as long as the blue is dark enough, that works well, for example. So you've got two different contrasts there. Um, you can use kind of, you know, different textures and patterns as well on the color or symbols. So I know a lot of, um, I think Alabama, I think uses uh, symbols in the card um, just to make it a bit easier to see. So if you can't tell the different colors, you can you go by the symbols. So th there's ways around it. And like you, you mentioned, you can change the dice or you can get stickers you can put in dice as well um, or stickers you can put in the card or on the board just to make it a, you know, a little bit easier 
to differentiate the different territories or different areas of the board, for example. Um, but I, I've seen quite a lot of times when game designers are designing a game, they're using brown and green and different shades of browns and greens and they look quite similar and that's a problem. Or they start using a, a red and a black next to each other and you think that's just a no-no. Or they've got a black and a red um, playing piece and you think, no, because if you've got a particular colour blindness, you never get to tell the difference. Mm-hmm. So there's there's kind of certain thumbs of rule you can get away with, and you kind of a, a, have to ask the question: Do you really need that colour? You need desperately need to use that colour, then use it. But just consider the other colours being used uh, around it, and the tones, and the contrast, how bright and how dark the colours are. Um, so mm-hmm. that, you know, people should make sure, for example, you know, the red, orange, and yellow is. is as bright and uh, if they're using a green and a brown that they are darkened so that you're not you know um making the colors blend in too much and you can actually tell the difference especially with some some of our, our color blindness right so you you mentioned like uh dual coding and like not relying on color coding the different types of components or i don't know areas on the board so besides uh, using color as the only factor to identify a certain component, the most common solution I've uh, seen is using monochromatic icons. Or sometimes, well, the icons are colored, but the icons are distinct. Are there any other kinds of solutions besides, let's say, iconography? Yeah, there's, yeah, there's, there's, there's lots of things you could do. So you've got, um, let's, let's just use a, a common resource. So people have got cubes. Mm-hmm. It's quite common, or a lot of plain pieces are quite common. They, they need, you know, using for resources. Mm-hmm. Now you could have different size shaped resources so that you can tell the difference between, you know, what's worth five, what's worth ten, for example. I know some games do that, and it makes it a bit easier than just keeping them all exactly the same size. Um, or you might have different shaped, slightly different shaped um, type of resources for each type of different player. So again, you can distinguish what belongs to which player without you needing to know the color. So the ways around that, it's obviously more expensive because then when, you, when you're going to manufacturing, you're having completely different types of pieces, it obviously bumps up the price. Yeah. So you know that's something to consider as well. But it's ultimately, if you're just bearing in mind the contrast and the colors being used, you can actually get away with a lot. And that's a problem where you look at um, a lot of, um, kind of resources and the, the colors are generally quite dull. And that's a problem. So instead of di- differentiating, having a really bright color um, and then a really dark color, they tend to be the same shade um, and tend the same contrast. And that's a problem. So, you know, by speaking to the manufacturer and seeing the, the different color depths that they can use, you can get away with that. And some manufacturers are good. They will they will be able to use brighter colours or darker colours. Um, so if you just speak to them about that, they can actually you know give you some examples. Um, so yeah, different shapes, different types of shades, symbols work really well. This, um, and what, one good thing that people use it cards. Okay, so when you've got when you, you you design a game with cards, you can obviously generally use different characters. For example, if you need them pairs. Um, Again, that's fine because you can still you're still looking for the same particular type of character. You don't really need to know the, the color of a card. You can use symbols in the corner, for example. You on the dice, if you're using particular dice, again, you should avoid acrylic type of dice. It should be very quite clear in the colors you're using. And it should be quite bold uh, or differentiate between the you know the bold colors and the dark colors so it's easy for people to see the different shades. 
Um, you can um, purchase kind of stickers online. I know there's a, a website you can go to makes accessibility kits for people when they're playing board games. Um, so you can kind of get examples to see how they've done it. I know that, I think it was Blue Water, when they were on Kickstarter, they designed the game and quite a few people came on and said, look, we can't differentiate the, the colours between these tokens. So they specifically manufactured a set of tokens for those who were colourblind, which I thought was really nice of them. Um, so they were least, you know, listening to feedback. Yeah. So yeah, th- there's, there's ways around it. Manufacturers will accommodate, okay? You've just got to work out whether it's cost-effective or not. And that's what's going. What that's what's going to come down to. But ultimately, there are there is a program you can use when you're designing a game. Um, it does it in real time. You can actually see what it looks like when it's just lined. So you you're kind of not wasting your time when you're designing a game. You can kind of do it on the, on the go, um, rather than reviewing it afterwards. Because there's no point you design a game and then you don't follow any any of the steps or the pointers or the tips that somebody's given you. You then going to put it in a simulator, you have a look at it and it's it just you can't see it and you know through the eyes of three different types of color blindness. And then you're thinking, well do I go back to the drum and redesign it? Or do I just publish it no and I'm gonna, you know, not make this accessible for a lot of people. Yeah. But it's just if you just follow certain simple concept rules, thumbs of rules, ones I've already mentioned, you will see that it's actually quite it's a lot simpler than you think. Yeah. It's not as difficult as you think. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you mentioned that the Kickstarter game that included uh, tokens uh, for colorblind people. I believe Magic Maze is another game that includes, I think there are stickers in the box. So if you struggle with some of the components, like if you have a person in your group that's uh, colorblind, you can uh, use those stickers to... Uh, I'm not sure whether they were like uh, symbols, but basically something to mark the cards. Yeah, they were acrylic. They were. They were kind of yeah. You stuck them on your your kind of your little piece, your plain piece. Uh, the, you know, and um, you could just dis- yeah, you could distinguish which ones were different then. Yeah. You also mentioned uh, shape and size of the components. So by Applying different shapes or sizes to the components, you're not just solving the problem for people who are colorblind, but you're also solving problems for people that are fully blind or just visually impaired. So just for someone like me, for instance, the money tokens in Camel Up, uh, a betting game. Not sure if you've played that. Uh, basically, yeah, the money tokens are uh, public knowledge, but uh, the different denominations of the money, so 1, 5, 10, 20, are all different sizes. And that really helps in, for instance, uh, me counting my own money at the end rather than waiting for everyone like to count their own money and pass the tokens to someone else to count them for me. It's not just solving for one group when you do something like that but you solve problems for many others and this doesn't even affect the game for people who are sighted it even makes the game better for them uh, absolutely and it, uh, visually it looks more pleasing as well we don't live in a world where everything's exactly the same size our money's not exactly the same size exactly and you know all the objects aren't exactly the same size so we don't live in that world so why should a board game be any di- you know be any different so by having different size components it just visually looks much nicer you know, you know, especially, you know, if you've got a kind of farming game and a game's got a lot of resources, you kind of, you want them different sized. 
bigger yep. and different shapes so you can distinguish between the different elements and it just makes it much 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 more visually pleasing yeah uh, that's correct can you give us some examples of games that do this uh badly basically uh, have you ever run across a game uh, that you've picked up and then you realize that you couldn't play it because the color choices were so bad and they didn't use any iconography or any other way to distinguish the components have you ever had a game like that well i bought i got a game recently and it, it uh, i like the game but i find it quite difficult because it's far too much green and brown and that's uh, robin hood oh a macedonian game <laughs> so yeah and i said it takes me a bit longer to like three and a half hours to play the thing because i was struggling to see the campsites so it took me a while to and I had to look for other distinctions, you know, so like, oh, there's a bit of white there, so I can, that's how I can distinguish the, where the campsites are. So um, visually it looks, well, it's great, but it can be difficult when you're using, you know, all lots of green and brown and you, you, you know, you're, it's very difficult to see. So that's what's one game I struggle a little bit. It's, it's not impossible, but it's just it's a little bit of a struggle that strains the eyes a bit as well, because we're really having to look for things. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, the ex- played extension for, for Catan, uh, the five to six player extension, green and brown pieces, oh, that was probably the worst mistake they could have ever made, <laughs> because it did not take into account that that's probably one of the worst combinations you can do, unless you really distinguish between the brown and the green. For example, if it's a really bright green or a really dark brown, you might have gotten away with it, um, but they, they didn't, and that was, that was that can be confusing for a lot, uh, you know a, a lot of people. Um, and you know the um, settlers of Catan, the, um, the actual board could be a bit of a nightmare for people because the the kind of design of it just it just all blends in for a lot of people, so it can be hard to see the different areas. And it's not it's not too much of a problem because you can see. From, from the you know the the areas it's they're all marked out anyway by black lines so it's not as if it's impossible mm. um, to play it it just is not as visually pleasing for some people um, the I suppose Taj Mahal's can be a bit of a problem because you've got different variants of you know orange yellow and green and, and pink mm-hmm. so that can be really difficult for people who are colorblind um, and again that's not something that's been taken into account for people with colorblindness um, is it there's a game called, I think it's, is it Callus or Kalis? Mm-hmm. And they've got quite a, quite a lot of, you know, got different cubes, okay, uh, for the resources. And you've got kind of pink and yellow, which can be a bit of a problem. Um, and the brown and grey, because the, the shades can be a bit of a problem as well. But they, I think they've got like a dark blue in there. So that's that's okay. They can get away with that, with the blue and yellow. But uh, the other colours can kind of mix up a little bit. So it can be quite hard to distinguish the, the cubes in there. Um, so that's going to be a bit of an issue for some people. There's, you mean, you can list probably about a thousand board games quite easily that are just impossible to play, you know, for people who are colorblind. Um, you know, so Through the Desert is another one that can be really difficult, um, mm-hmm. you know, because the five colors they use are almost impossible to distinguish for, for somebody who's colorblind. And so they haven't thought, of, you know, about it and, you look at the pieces as well; they all look the same. So, <laughs> so right. you're, apart from that, few, so you're, you're kind of you're, you're playing it, and you're going to struggle. And that's where you need to use things like stick. You know, you really want to play the game. You need to use stickers on them to distinguish the colours. That's a lot of stickers you're going to be needing. 
Yeah. So you know the shades that they use for the for the pieces weren't weren't that great. So yeah, yeah there's there's literally there's thousands of games you could kind of pick holes in. Um, but what's important is you don't want to stifle the creativity of a game designer. You just there's just certain color combinations you can avoid, and you really do you really need to have those combinations in. There's lots of other colors you can use as long as you use different shades and contrast. You can get you can get, tend to get away with it. Yeah, you know. So there's ways around things, but there's yeah, there's literally thousands of games you could pick yeah. holes and and say that have haven't done X, Y, and Z. Yeah, one of the recent games that so before uh, doing this episode, I did some research to see what the most recent games with um, colorblindness issues are. And one game I ran across is Yamatai. And there was this uh, post on the board games subreddit where the guy was just complaining that the game is simply unplayable. Like he was happy that he purchased the game. He goes home, he asks his friends over, and when they see like the color choices, the ships in that game use uh, green, red, and brown, or was it dark brown color, and they all looked the same to him. And there was no other way to distinguish the ships, like the shapes were the same, and the cards for those ships also only used color as the only way to identify them. So yeah, that's it's I believe it's published by Days of Wonder. And as a game published, I think it was in 2016. I think yeah, they, they did a, a ticket to ride was another problem Days of Wonder they they got out in the market because the first edition didn't use symbols in the board. Oh and yeah. They just assumed that everyone can see that, no problem. They don't need symbols. And I think, I don't want to be slaying people, right? But I think certain publishers have got a problem where they just completely dismiss people with colorblindness. There's a bit of arrogance where they just don't want to consider it. Yeah. And they'll do the game how they see fit, regardless if it's accessible or not. That was the strange thing about the game, because I think Days of Wonder have multiple games that really do colorblindness well. Like, they use symbols, as you said, and then they came up with this game which was like, uh, uh, this game is completely unplayable for someone who's red-green blind, which is like well, the worst thing that can happen. I mean, I think that even with marking the components, it still is unfeasible. Yeah, and one thing we get to bear in mind, obviously Days of Wonder, um, they have other people publish uh, designing the games for them as well. So we get to bear that in mind. That's not always just their design, um, but obviously ultimately they have the final say in the design. Mm-hmm. So, and sometimes the cost comes into it. So, the, obviously, a publisher's got to consider the cost. Um, is it worth changing all these colors? And is it cost effective? And that's one thing you've got to bear in mind. So, it's hard to get a balance. But if you're designing a game from the start, if you just, just make the simple, simple, um, good kind of uh, ways of designing a game for card blindness, you, you kind of won't really go wrong. Because there's only set, there's only about nine color combinations you just avoid at all costs. Others you can kind of get away with if you you know bear in mind the different contrasts. Um, so it doesn't have to be. It's not that difficult. Um, and if everyone's aware of that, just is it's just quite simple to design a game that's with various different colors in it to make yeah. it, making it accessible. And if you really, if somebody was so adamant, they were not not interested in changing some of the colors, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Well, then consider other aspects like symbols. 
you know, different shapes and different sizes so that it's accessible in a different way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like even if you have to use something like if it breaks the aesthetics uh, in the game, like if you choose another color, yeah, dual coding that uh, component is the way to go. Um, another like game I have, like well, I recently picked up uh, is Castles of Burgundy. And now my vision is quite bad, so I can't really distinguish any of the tiles anymore. But a sighted friend that I'm playing with, uh, I've noticed that he's also struggling a lot when playing that game. And like the color choices in that game are very poor. Like the board is very bland and the tiles are very bland. So yeah, it, it all looks very dull and it's very easy to mix different sets of tiles. Like they use the beige color, they use dark browns, they use light greens, I believe, for the animal tiles. So yeah, have you ever played Castles of Burgundy? Yeah, it's, it's a problem. A lot of, a lot of games, the uh, bows are dull, they're quite dull in color and that's a problem. Because where it's all dull, it looks everything is looking quite dark and dull. It's, it can be difficult for some of those color blind to differentiate the, the colors. So you've got to have a good variant in colorness and contrast. But it's more expensive to, to be doing that because you're asking the manufacturer then have a couple of really bright colors and like a few kind of in between and a few at the other end of the spectrum that are darker. And that costs money to do that because they, obviously they need to have the certain inks. Mm. Uh, to do that and then depending on the manufacturer some might not be able to go that far and some will so there's a there's a cost element in that as well you know so i can understand why a lot of publishers won't make you know won't you know have games uh, manufactured that's you know that's got certain completely different contrasts and colors that's so fast from one another because there's a high cost in it when it's been manufactured Right. Well, uh, Castles of Burgundy will receive a refresh and I think it's called the Anniversary Edition. So I'm really looking forward to what they do uh, with the art in that game and how they update it. Yeah, and it's always, it's always exciting when they do new editions because generally you find when they do new editions they make you know make more of an effort making it, making it accessible. And, you know, the, some some don't and some do and it's, it's always great when they do that make it more accessible and do you know what? It's just it. I just prefer it. It just looks better when somebody even goes that extra length to make something more accessible. It just makes it more more pleasing to play because it's easier, visually easier for everyone. Even when somebody's not colorblind, just to play it. Yeah. And to see everything really clearly. Right. And okay. So let's talk a bit about games that do this well. Do you have any examples for games that? have solved this problem? I wouldn't say any game solved it completely, but um, I know Alibra, um use symbols in the cards, which is quite good. So even if you can't distinct, the colors aren't too bad in that, they're actually decent. Um, so you can, yeah, you can see by the symbols in They're not the biggest of symbols in the cards, but you can, you know, it is playable, even if you can't differentiate the, the, the colors. The, as, I suppose, as it's an aqueduct. I remember, I think the houses on the on the tiles were different shapes for each player. Mm-hmm. So that was a, a good way of distinguishing the difference between, you know, if you can work at the, you know, between the colours. They had different shapes, which was quite good. I think there's a, an old a, a card game, I can't remember what it's called, I think it was Bargain Hunter, um, where the um, designs were different. They were similar, but d- different in a way we could distinguish. 
So you can, and they they also use the symbols as well. So they use you know two different things to to help people out because the colours um, would have been difficult to distinguish. Uh, so they they've done really well on that and in terms of doing the, the symbols and the um, actual graphic design uh, being different as well for each each card. So they they've they've done done a good job in that. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones. I, I think Citadels was another one if I remember right. I know if I can remember, it was quite difficult to uh, distinguish the 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 colours, um, and I think it was an issue with the uh, blue and purple. I think they had, um, but I think what they did was put um, some special text or different type of text written on them, so you could tell the difference. Yeah. Um, in terms of you know the the you know, so that they did something along those lines. I've played for ages. I can't I can't remember the top of, the top of my head. Um, so they've done a good job of that. And I think another one was is it Hanabi or Hanabi. Mm. I don't know how yeah. to pronounce it. And I think they did um, like a reprint, didn't they, in English? And I think originally the prototype, if I remember right, didn't consider the card blindness, and it would have been pretty much a nightmare for people to play because of the the color contrasts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I can't remember. What they did. I think they, they then I think reprinted it or something, or in the final print they put the like symbols in the cards. To make it easy then, because they realised a lot of people couldn't play the game unless it had symbols on, and that's a simple fix. And that's that's all it takes is a simple fix to make a game playable. Yeah. So for our listeners, a good list that you can use to determine whether a game is colorblind friendly or not can be found at Meeple Like Us. We have mentioned this website before, and they have this master list of which I will put in a link in the show notes where uh, they have graded color blindness and other accessibility elements like visual impairment and uh, cognitive impairment. So you can easily like sort the games depending on what the grade is. So Yamatai had an F in that list because and there are only a few games with that grade and that's because they are unplayable for a given group so yeah you can you can use that list to check whether a game is colorblind friendly before you buy it and yeah if there's any other resources i find before publishing this episode i'll also make sure to put that in the show notes i think what i'd say say as well is on on my blog post there's a ton of resources there as well where people can have a look at, and there's a particular bit of software you can download for free, and it shows you in real time when you design the game what what it looks like. People are colorblind, so I'll have a ton of resources for people as well just to help them out. Awesome. Before we wrap up, Jay, do you have anything you'd like to add, anything that I didn't ask you but you wanted to talk about? I think what we need to do as a kind of group of designers is we need to be a bit more conscious of people who are colorblind or some type of blindness to make games a little bit more accessible. And there's lots of things you can do, it doesn't break the bank. And I think there's a bit too much, um, I suppose, ignorance of ignoring it and just not taking responsibility to just read up on it. And the fact that I've done a, a, a blog, it covers you know, all the basics and the ground rules for you. You just you know read that and I'll tell you everything you really need to know. Yeah. And you can just crack on with it and it's not difficult at all, it really isn't. Um, it's just it's, it's simple. It really is simple. 
And yeah, that's, that's something I think we all need to just bear in mind when we're designing games. And yeah, if, if anyone's got any questions for me, they can just, you know, they can contact me through my website, Pixie Games. Um, you just Google it and uh, whatever search engine you use and uh, yeah, you can get hold of me. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes to your website as well. If you have any questions for Jay, you can reach him via his website. Jay, thank you so much for this conversation. I really enjoyed this. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me on. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm just hopeful that, you know, people have learned, learned something from, from this as well, which is, uh, feels important. It's always good to learn something new. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the goal of this uh, podcast. So if you have any questions for me, as always, you can reach me on Twitter at SightlessFun. You can also send an email to sightlessfun at outlook.com or you can check out our website at www.sightless.fun. Thank you very much for listening. If you like the show, spread the word. And remember, you can still have fun while being sightless. This episode was hosted by Ertan Shashko and edited by Alpai Shashko. We'd also like to extend our special thanks to Fighting Windmills for allowing us to use their music in our podcast. You can find them at fightingwindmillsmk.bandcamp.com.